0: 10 or 11 years, I guess, is when I first came here. That was very important. I just knew some stuff about missions. And so I was fortunate enough to be asked to serve on a committee with Mark and Chuhia right up front to plan the Mexico mission trips and the Mexico program for that. And at the same time, Jane Riley was on that committee. So I commenced to tell Mark and Chuhia how to do something. I tried to tell Jane uh, Riley how to be a speaker. <laughs> Well, she asked me. So I told her what I thought. Since then, I've learned some stuff. And I've learned to be quiet. And uh, so I will be quiet. But then we went on the Mexico mission trip, and Dave Hills was in the group. And Jim and I were so blessed to get to know Dave right at the very beginning, working in mission. I should have known this whole family has a heart for others and a love for others. So little did I know Norma at that time,
1: but I knew where a lot of that strength was coming from. So we're very blessed to have Dave and Norma as our program today. Thank you. By the way, I'm Dave. There's Norma. Um, We were both raised in southwestern Michigan, and we uh, met as students at Western Michigan University. We met in January of 1957 and we were married in August. So very short time, but after uh, graduating, uh, I had to go into the army for two years because at that time they were drafting married people. And so one day before I, just before I graduated, I was talking to one of my instructors and he was trying to talk me into going into geology but uh, I told him that I had taken the first computer course that Western Michigan had, and they didn't even have a computer. <laughs> so we had to go to St. Joe, uh, Michigan to Whirlpool on Friday nights to uh, try to run our computer programs. But uh, he told me, he said, uh, I have just got out of the Army, and uh, I know the Army is looking for programmers. And he said, uh, here's the name and address of a general. <clears throat> Write him a letter, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. I said, well, worth a shot. So I wrote the letter and as a result, uh, Norman and I, after basic training, after I went basic training in Fort Leonardwood, uh, we went <clears throat> to the Pentagon and I was able to work with <clears throat> computers with the U.S. Army. So that was a good learning experience. And then after our two years, uh, I got a job with General Motors in Milwaukee. And uh, we- they didn't have anything to do with cars. Uh, it was the aerospace division of GM, and what we built was the guidance systems for the Apollo moonshots. So during the 60s, when they were sending people to the moon, we were very, very interested in that uh, in that uh, occasion. In Milwaukee, uh, we raised four children, and uh, Mark is our oldest. He's here. Uh, later in life, when we were in Atlanta, we also took a girl into our family from Columbia. We've mentioned Stella before in the prayers. And uh, so, they're part of our family. Uh, after the four children got into school, uh, Norma went back to college at University of Wisconsin in Whitewater and got her degree. And we all went to her graduation and applauded for mom. Uh, after uh, I left General Motors after nine years and started my own little software company, and things were going really well. We were marketing our products, our microcomputers and our software in Milwaukee, Chicago, and we were starting to go toward Cleveland. But then in the early 80s, uh, the economy in Wisconsin uh, really took a big hit. The big companies, manufacturing companies, were leaving, uh, going south or overseas, and businesses dried up uh high schools and schools were being closed. Uh if you go to the mall, some of the stores were boarded up. It was it was very difficult. But we had heard that um, they were looking for people in Atlanta. Atlanta was really booming at that time. So we came down for a real quick trip, checked it out. It definitely was it looked like financial heaven. Near uh, help audit signs all over. So we went back and decided that uh in January of 1984, I would come down with $1,000 to find a job. And that was our plan A. And we had no plan B. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in Milwaukee, I'd been uh, in a group called CBMC, Christian Business Committee. And we met weekly for Bible study and prayer. And uh, one of the first things I did when I got here was I called <coughs> the office in Atlanta to plug into that group. And it was funny because the guy on the, the answer to the phone's name was David Hill. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, there must be something to this. So anyway, I plugged in with a group of guys that met at Lennox on Friday mornings. And I told them why I was here. I was looking for work. I gave them my resume. And the following Friday, uh, one man said, uh, I heard that Equifax is hiring. So I called Equifax and set up an appointment with Harold on a Thursday morning. My dad showed him my resume, and we talked, and he said, well, it's pretty good. I'll call you next week. So I said, okay. So <clears throat> that afternoon, <clears throat> the phone rang, and it was Harold. And he said, this is very strange. He said, I was on my way down to Micro Center's department with your resume, and I saw two of the managers in that department coming toward my office. And they were looking for a uh, person with the exact same qualifications that you have. And he said, can you come in tomorrow and have lunch with them? I said, well, let me check my calendar. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: I said, yeah, thanks, I'll be there. So I went in, we had lunch, they gave me an offer, I accepted. I called Norma and said, we got a job. And we cried on the phone. So, you know, when, when I go out walking in the morning, um, one of the things I always recite is uh, the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd. And that was kind of why we picked that title for a little talk, you know, how God, where God has led us. Because uh, he's really the shepherd and he's the one that, that leads us. And if we were leading ourselves, we'd probably be out in the desert somewhere. Another thing I want to mention before, I have Norma talk about our school is that um, we didn't really plan to start an ESL school. It just sort of happened. And she'll tell you about that. But uh, after it got going, um, I retired from Aquifax after 13 years to work full time with our school that Norma had started. And we realized that we needed more training. So on weekends, we went to uh, program the University of Georgia had and got a master's degree in adult education. And so we felt more equipped, you know, to work with the students that because of that. Um, so, uh, now Norma's going to come and talk, and I'm going to attempt to start a loop here on the screen.
2: Wait for loop. Wait. Okay. I'm Norma. <laughs> Holy Joe! This is a big talk. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I'm not going to talk right away about the school itself, but I want to tell you a little bit about the students who come to the United States with student visas. Yeah, I know that you're concerned about that as citizens of the United States, and you hear about the, the difficulties there have been, and some of the students, ex-students, have caused uh, a lot of difficulty for our country.
0: So I want to tell you
2: how this, how this process works, Okay. We can issue stu- I-20s to students who want to come to the United States. How do they find us, that little school in Roswell, Georgia? We have a lot of, uh, of people in the United States who have come here from other countries in the past. And they have family members back in their home country who want to learn English. To learn English is really, really important in every country because the, the language of business is English. So we have adult people who want to learn the language and are being brought here by their family members who live in Atlanta. Okay, They do this with a student visa. They come to us and they ask if we will issue them the I-20. The I-20 is a document that the government has authorized for students. And with that I-20 and with financial guarantees and their passports and a letter of acceptance, they can go to the consulate in their home country and they can apply for a student visa. Okay? The student visa then is authorized by their home country, the consulate or the, the, uh, uh, embassy. Then if they, if they get an F1, if they get a student visa, then they are put on a database that's run by the government. The government established this database after 9-11 to keep track of all of the students, all the international students who are in the United States. Okay? Our little school has 45 pages of student visas that have been required, have been asked for from our little school. So you can see that it's a massive database. This database then allows the students to come to the United States and be recorded as a student in residence. Okay, And the rules for them are very explicit. They have got to follow the rules of the school they attend. And if they don't, they're terminated and they're thrown out of the country within 15 days. Okay, So in our school, what we do is we record that student having arrived and started the classes. And then they're required to be there 80% of the time and follow our school's rules. We're able to do that because we're accredited. Accredited, I'm sure, how many of you are teachers? Have been teachers? Sure. You know what that means. You have to go through this long process. Well, we're accredited and have been since 2001. That means that the federal government has come into our school and they have checked our program Mm -hmm. of study. The program of study is what do we do and do we do what we say we do. If we do, they say, okay, great. So in 2001, we got our first accreditation, second one in 2003, no, five, next one 2008, and next month we'll get our fourth one, okay? So we can issue these I-20s, and we have this relationship with the federal government to keep track of our students because of that accreditation, okay? Vital, vital, vital thing. If we have a student who does not perform, who does not come to class 80% of the time, we have the option of terminating them. We don't even have the option, we would do it. Okay? And so consequently, we keep records on all the students who are here, and then when they're ready to leave us and go to another school, to another, to, or to go back home, we record that and the government knows. Okay? So, with that in mind, I kind of wanted to let you know that these students are here, but they there are controls as best we can be for the for the students who are studying in the United States. For example, right now the Saudi government has 150,000 Saudi students studying in the United States. Those 150,000 are paid for by the Saudi government. So your oil, your oil money is coming back to the United States in kind of a strange way because they they pay out-of-state tuition, out-of-country tuition. Each one of those students gets $2,000 a month as uh, living expenses, and they get tuition paid for as well. So they have to follow the same rules everybody else does if they don't, we terminate them. They have to return to their home country with 50, within 15 days. So I, I know if it was me and I was looking at this from the outside, I'd think, what good is an English school? Why do we have an English school? What kind of controls are there? When we started, we didn't have an, an I-20 process. We only had people from our area who wanted to learn English. We had two buildings full like that. There are three stories. It's four 4,000 square feet. And there were that many people who were living in the, Atlanta, in the Roswell area who wanted to learn English. They needed it for their jobs. They needed it for professional development. They needed it for uh, talking with their children. And they needed it in order to go back to their home country and have uh, just a step up from the average person. <clears throat> but when, after 9-11, gradually that group diminished and we ended up with just one little building that housed, I think we have about 150 students there now. We have classes during the daytime, mornings and evenings, Tuesdays and Thursday nights Our classes as well. And all of our students who are student visa people have to, have to, have to study 18 hours a week. No option, no choice. For the people who are local residents, (laughs) they can choose one class. Two classes, three classes, or four classes. And they pay for the classes that they take. The classes that we have <coughs> are language, well excuse me, for grammar. Can you imagine studying grammar at your age? Which many, many people do from other countries. We have grammar, listening speaking, reading vocabulary, and writing. And then with those four skills, they, people are are moving from level one, that's a beginner-beginner level with no English at all, all the way to the university system. Okay? That's our preparation for them. And they can do that within that little old building. I think I probably said just about all I need to. Okay, we got a loop. I also brought some textbooks. I'm a basic teacher, right? The most important thing... Oh, would not you know they'd be in the bottom? Okay, the loop is looping. It's a loop. These are pictures of our students, and we'll let the loop go. These two are from Saudi Arabia. She's pregnant. This is her husband, Mohammed Ibanya. Her baby was born here in Atlanta, in Roswell. This is a group of our students who have graduated from that particular term. Each term, they <coughs> have a graduation. And of course we have very talented students from all over the world. These two went to a strawberry farm and picked strawberries (coughs) with a group. Excursions are real, real important as you'll see from this. (coughs) It's part of the culture. They go to CNN, they take the MARTA, they learn how to, they go to Cyclorama. To to the the oh, I'm sorry. They they go to pick strawberries. They go to CNN. They go to uh, Cyclorama. Here's a group of our students. This guy on the left is a is a lawyer from Brazil. Um, these are a, a group who were on an excursion. But they the excursions are important for the culture. We need them to know the United States as the United States is, not as it appears in television or in other places. This was a animal farm. This is Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> this was another group of Halloweeners. They were big on Halloween at Lawrenceville. We had two sides, but we just closed Lawrenceville because of economics, per, economic reasons. So some of the students from Lawrenceville are on these pictures, but they, they aren't the people that we know as well. Simone on the right is, has a husband who's working here. She just had her, her third baby. Um, <coughs> this is obviously a nature center that the, her students, the kids from Lawrenceville went to, and then pumpkin picking. That was a biggie. They really enjoyed that as well. <coughs> our teachers all have degrees, and they have to do professional development, just like all teachers do, in order to keep our accreditation. Here a Saudi Arabian guy is, is bowling with a girl from probably Venezuela. These two are married, he's South Korean, she's Colombian, and they were married this last, uh, a couple months ago. This one I especially want you to look at. Notice the gal on the far right. Notice her, I, f- I always forget their names. But <clears throat> she was pregnant, okay? And she was going to have her baby, and that's Muhammad, her husband. And they were in the, cl- she was in a class called Girl Talk. It's an elective. And the girls all sat around on, on, um, Oh, yeah. shoot and and talked on bee bag. Uh, bag chairs and talked, mm-hmm. and so they gave uh banya a a shower for her celebration. These two gals are cousins, they're from Columbia, <clears throat> and the interesting thing about our job is when people leave here. They leave here with an English fluency, one kind or another. It depends on how long they study. But our, our grammar, for an example, and Dave, tell me if I've talked too long. Okay. Dave is very good at teaching level one. And this is a book of, for the book and workbook that we use for the students who are just beginning to learn English. They start, okay, they start with I am, you are, he is, a whole bit, okay? Conjugate verbs all through the, the text. These are grammar books. And when they finish these three books, they have finished level seven, okay? After these books are finished, then we have a mastery program. Mastery program is for those who are not quite ready to go back to their home country, who are, who are trying to figure out where to go. For the university, oh yeah, David's going to pass these out because they're kind of interesting to look at the differences. This is a vocabulary mastery book that uh, specializes on the uh, in the academic word list, which is essential for those who are taking the TOEFL. These books have been developed by National Geographic to give a global outlook whoop, whoop, to English classes, and Uh-oh. if you will take a look at them, you'll notice that they have specific directions: listening, to speak and critical thinking. This one is reading, writing, and vocabulary. And these are the books that we use as textbooks that go from level one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. When they finish with levels, and he's going to pass these around so you, can, you who are teachers or who are curious would be able to take a look at them. These are leveled. Leveled for vocabulary and level for grammar. <laughs> This is as hard as walking up and down those stairs at the school. (laughs) When they're ready for the TOEFL, which is a required um, test to enter the university at the end of our level 7, this is the book they use. It's called the TOEFL Preparation Book. And this is a book of essential words for the TOEFL that they also study. So our program is deep in, in studying. You can tell that it's not a conversational school we actually are teaching them to use the English in whatever way they need it, whether it's professional development or if it's to go back to their home country or to go to our own universities. I'm done, guys. <laughs>
1: okay. Um, one thing I, we wanted to talk about is I wanted to uh, talk about my connection with our RUMC, which primarily has been in uh, international mission trips. And uh, I'm going to attempt to switch this over to...
2: Norma, what percentage of your students go on to university here? Oh, gosh, I probably would 10% oh, okay. max. Uh, Jean- Generally, <laughs> they finished our program, and what we do with the, uh, with the student visa with it is we would transfer that student visa to the university <laughs> then accept them. But for them, they have to prove to us that they've been accepted by that university before we release their record. So there's this
1: constant control off of Thank you, Tissie. Most of them actually go home. Okay. Okay. I'm going to take just a few minutes to talk about uh, my connection with the with the international mission trips I've been on, and I figure I probably have taken about 16 uh, trips to other countries, uh, to uh, Poland, Mexico, Guatemala, Belize, Costa Rica, and Colombia. <clears throat> Now, as I look around the group here, I see some of the, my team members. Uh, Paul and Sarah each and we were in uh, Belize together. And Dick Anthony, I saw you come in. Where are you? Okay, you were in Belize also, I remember. And uh, Dan Hudson's in the Discovery uh, uh-huh. class. And Linda and Jim, we were in Mexico. And Roger and Gail, I think we were in Mexico also. And maybe there are others of you, I I don't know, but those are some that I I remember. Um, I want to talk uh, just briefly about three different places that uh, uh, we've been to. Uh, The first one is uh, Belize. And uh, interestingly enough, Belize... uh, has a kind of an interesting history. This is a picture of the capital city, Belmopan, which is not on the coast. It's 50 miles inland. The reason for that is that uh, in 1961, Belize experienced its second hurricane in 30 years, which devastated Belize city that's on the coast, Caribbean coast. So they decided to move the government buildings 50 miles inland and build a planned community. And this is the community where we built a church. It took several years, but the community is like no other capital city. It's all nice. There are no slums. Uh, it's well lit. People are friendly. It looks economically stable because most of them work for the government. So it was a great place to be. In. And this is uh, the building and construction and the. Cement blocks in a round circle are because that's where we had our emotions together. And in that area of Central America, primarily Mexico, uh, Guatemala, and Belize, there are a lot of Mayan ruins, and Belize has some. Uh, there's, uh, this is a place called Antonich, and we went there. And you could actually go inside that building. It was very interesting.
2: Did you mention Sarah and, Sarah and Karen? I'm sorry? Yes, I'm
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, one of the things uh, that was uh, fun for me was, uh, on one of the years I went to Belize, um, our daughter, Karen, said, I'd like to go. And she was in college. And uh, so I said, well, call the leader and, and uh, tell him you would like to go. So she did. When she got off the phone, she says, I can't believe it. He said I couldn't go because I was a girl. And I said, "Well, we got a meeting tonight. Put on your Peachtree Road Race T-shirt and come to the meeting with me." And she did. Not a word was said. She went on the trip, and there was another girl that joined it too. So I also went
0: because I thought the two girls should be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So anyway, that, that was that was good. Um, the next uh, place I want to mention briefly is uh, Columbia. Now the North Georgia Conference for many years had been building churches in Bogota. And Arthur Ivey and Mary Alice were the primary movers for that. They would organize teams from North Georgia to go to Bogota. And this is one of the last uh, churches they built called the Solid Church. And uh, when they finished that building, Arthur and Mary Alice decided to be full-time in Peru. And so, I was, after that, for about five years, I led teams to Columbia once once a year. And that seems kind of strange to figure from RUMC one team a year, but that's the way it was back then. It's much better now. But uh, this is the pastor of the new church we were going to build, Pastor Efrain, and he has passed away since he was <laughs> taken. But that's his daughter and son-in-law. And the son-in-law's name is Andres, and he has an interesting story. He told me that he used to be a hitman for the Mafia. One did, and somebody one night shared the gospel with him. And he accepted Christ. He traded, told me he traded his gun for a Bible. And he married the pastor's daughter. So that's a real change, right? Now this was the site that we were going to build this church. And uh, this uh, young man on the left was an interesting guy. He had dug the footings for that whole thing in one week with a shovel. And uh, we were very impressed. So we gave him a really nice pair of leather leather work gloves. Well, the next couple days, he showed up to work, but without the gloves. We thought, well, maybe he sold them or somebody stole them or something. But anyway, uh, he didn't wear the gloves. Well, on Sunday, when we had a church service, he came to church with the gloves on they were they were too nice to use for work. <laughs> now there's something very unusual about this picture. Have you ever seen cows on sidewalks before? I guess they want to keep their hoofs clean. But uh this is because formerly this area was a pasture, and the farmer was still bringing his cows in to feed. In the meantime, the community is being built. So I guess the zoning. Laws were a little bit behind schedule there. <laughs> and then the uh, following year, <coughs> the walls were up and it was ready for the roof. And uh, the following year, they were having worship services in there, so we celebrated with them. This little girl, Albernelli Nino, was a compassion child that Norm and I were <coughs> uh, supporting. And compassion at that time, I don't know if they still do now, but had a policy, if you go to the country of your child, they will arrange a meeting. So we met at the agency with the parents, the mom and her and her little sister, and the agency people. And then we went to their home in the slums in Bogotá. We had to walk because you can't take a car down that road. The ruts are so bad. But we went to the home, and it was a little cement block building, the only furniture they had were beds in the living room, and a kitchen, and a small bathroom. And we passed out gifts, and uh, the little girl smiled, and the mom cried. So then we took them to a mall, which was not far away, but they had never been to the mall. And we had chicken, we said her goodbyes, Then later her family moved out of Bogota because the father got a job somewhere else, and we lost touch. She's probably in her late 20s now, so. Hopefully, she remembers what she was taught by compassion. And uh, this was uh, uh, Semana Santa, or Easter week, that we were there. And uh, on Sunday, we drove around to some little communities in Bogota. Of course, they're celebrating Easter, but uh, the guest of honor is Mary. The last place I want to talk about is Poland. And I think this was one of the most interesting places that I've been to. Uh, the man with me there is Svignath Wynatsky, He's the Methodist pastor. And uh, the first trip that uh, North Georgia went to was in 1989. And Svignath had uh, bought a building that originally had been a Lutheran church. Then when the communists took over, it was changed to a government building, and then it was deserted. And he bought it for a $100. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, some people in Atlanta area organized some teams to go over and renovate that building. Well, in 1989, um, that was the first year that Poland had free elections in 50 years. And we were there just before the elections. The result of the elections were that most of the communists were voted out. Uh, Zwicky said some of them cared about the people, and so they were re-elected. But basically, Poland got freedom. And when we were there in 1989, it was terrible. The people were depressed. You'd go in the supermarkets and there'd practically nothing on the shelves. Can you imagine? Many people, most people didn't have cars. Everybody was afraid. And we were out of the country, we were foreigners, so people just stayed away from us. I wanted to take some pictures of some kids in a park and they ran. Because we were foreign. And their parents told them stay away from foreign people. Well, we finished the building after a couple of years and then I decided 10 years later, 1999, I wanted to go back and see the church that we had worked on. So I just went back and Zvigniew took me up there. He had moved to another church in the meantime and it was great. It was just beautiful. Well, then um, in 2004, we tried to organize the Roswell team to go and uh, help in an English camp that SPIGNEF had organized. And uh, so I got one person, and that was Ann. Mm-hmm. She went along with me. But, uh, you know, two people can't do an English camp, so we joined a group from Naperville, Illinois, became part of their team. And uh, we had the English camp, this is the team from Naperville, and in the back you can, uh, even their names on the right, this was a group I had. We tested the students for their English capability, and these were the, the top nine kids. And their English was great, and they were so much fun. And uh, so the material that, that I was provided with, I said, this will never work. This is way, way, way too low for these kids. So I said, let me think of something. So what we decided to do was take the, the nine, divide them into three groups of three, and tell them you're going to start a business. So you have to decide, the three of you, what kind of business you want to have. And then you have to build a business plan and consider everything. And then you have to present that to the, uh, to the other groups. Well, it worked out really well. And especially that, that gal on the right, she's from Naperville. Her job in Chicago was to <laughs> coach people on giving presentations. So it fit in perfectly. Well, we, they all made their presentations. We were a couple of days short. We still had two days left. So I told them, well, when you have a business, things always don't go like you think they will. So in an envelope the next morning, I gave him a challenge. And uh, I said, you have to solve this problem, keep your business going, and figure out how you're going to recover. And So they took a couple of days to do that. And this is the chapel. And the people from Naperville brought just great praise music kids just really responded. It was a very deep spiritual time for many of them. A lot of them accepted Christ. And there was also a recreation area there. as' was a swimming and volleyball was going when they weren't sleeping or eating. And uh, it, it was a great time. So this uh, really concludes our presentation. Um, we've really enjoyed being here in Roswell and uh, also our, our business uh, of teaching English internationally. Uh, Norman didn't mention, but over the last 15 years, usually we've had international students living with us because they want English 24-7. We don't right now, but we may this summer. But uh, anyway, uh, thank you very much. If you have questions, we'll be around. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Dave and Norma. That was wonderful. You know, I, I, I sat there and thought some of the memories that stick with you in your head, the very strongest are those from mission trips. That's just so fine. And to start a whole school and get that going, they've been right busy, wouldn't you say? I looked at the Bible verse this morning, yesterday or sometime, and most of the time I'm, I've tried real hard to get them short so that you do not have to write so much. And I thought, well, that just didn't really say a whole lot that it's Mother's Day. So honor your father and your mother. And I was thinking back to that's from Exodus 2012. So that was written 3,500 years ago. This business of honoring your father and your mother has been going on now for a while. So 3,500 years ago. And then I looked a little further. I had this little book, and I can't remember if it's mine or my mother's, but it's one of us, and it's just garlands from mother. The very first page of that book is Behold Thy Mother. Where does that come from? Jesus on the cross. On the cross. That's John nineteen twenty-seven. 27. He, he said to, his, to the disciple, Behold Thy Mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his home. Of course, we believe that was John. But we listen to the last seven words of Christ on Good Friday every year. And as for me, I'm probably hearing, I thirst, Uh, I commend my soul, I'm, I'm into Easter and what it is for Good Friday. But the last words that Jesus said were to his mother and to his father. So, behold thy mother. These words of our Lord have for 19 centuries, 2,000 years, ennobled that embodiment of heart and spirit which we know to be God's own handiwork, the love of a mother. There is an abiding faith in all deep love, but a mother's love is a veil of a softer light between the heart and the Heavenly Father. Mary, the mother of Jesus, stood at the foot of the cross and heard the coarse shouts of the crowd. Her son then turned to John And asked him to care for his beloved mother. Even he that died for us upon the cross in the last hour in the unutterable agony of death was mindful of his mother. As if to teach us that this holy love should be our last worldly thought. The last point of earth from which the soul should take its flight to heaven. Behold thy mother. So have a great day. Some of us Betty Williams I know and I am going home to cook. (laughs) You're <laughs> <laughs>